0: We are in week three of Jerusalem Crime Story. I think every good crime story makes you ask questions. That's what makes it engaging. And a question that I started us with, and we've talked each week, I've talked about the question of, was Jesus innocent or guilty? That's kind of the million-dollar question of every crime drama. And what's interesting about if you were here last week, you learned that's not quite as simple of a question and easy of a question as it might seem. Because on one hand, Jesus was innocent. He is one who never sinned, didn't make mistakes. But on the other hand, he was guilty. Because in the irony of all of this, he was exactly what they charged him with. The Jews charged him with claiming to be the son of God. And the irony is, he was. The Romans charged him with being a king of the Jews. And the irony is, he was. So in many ways, he was guilty of exactly what they charged him with. But the difference is, they thought he was lying or delusional. But he knew what they were saying was true. So that question, was Jesus innocent or guilty? It's a, lot, it's a little tougher of a question than it might seem. But, you know, there's another question, because when, when it, we talk about the execution of Jesus, there's another question, especially in watching that video. And it's a question that I think has come into all of your minds, because I know it came into mine why did jesus have to die really why did jesus have to die have you ever asked yourself that surely there could have been another way surely there could have been another option why did jesus have to die i mean he, he was the son of god He performed miracles. He defied all the laws of nature. Being fully God and fully man, he could have just snapped his fingers to save the world, couldn't he? I mean, God's God. God can do anything. Why did Jesus have to die? No other world religion has their founder being killed for their beliefs. Muhammad, Buddha, Abraham, Confucius, none of them. Why did Jesus have to die? I mean, if God is supposed to be so good and so loving, that was his plan? Really? How could a good God allow that to happen? A violent execution. Really, that's the, that, that's the only option he had that God had ahead of him. Why did Jesus have to die? Now, you know, before we, we start to talk about answering that question, I think that there's one thing that's really important to understand about the ending of Jesus' life. And that is that Jesus knew 100% that it was the Father's will for him to die. That's really important to know. This was no accident. This was no failed revolution. In fact, in the book of Mark, Jesus actually says five times over the course of three years or so But Jesus says five times to his disciples that he was going to die. So for anyone who was kind of tracking and following along, this should not have been a surprise. But it was. So again, this was no mistake. This was was no wrong option. This was exactly what Jesus knew God wanted for him. So that's the first thing we need to understand about Jesus' execution. This is exactly what Jesus intended to happen. Still doesn't answer the question, why? If Jesus chose to die, why did he choose to die? It still doesn't answer the question. So to answer this, we have to continue our study of Mark 15. So last week or two weeks ago, we started in Mark 14. Last week, we went into Mark 15. We're going to continue Mark 15 today. And Mark has an answer to that question. So hang tight. If that question haunts you kind of like it has me, Mark has an answer to that question. Okay, but but before we can get to that, we we, we have to kind of catch up on the story here. So last week, we left off with Jesus receiving a death sentence of execution from the Roman governor. Okay? So here's Pontius Pilate, he's the Roman governor, he's the head guy in charge of the region. Okay? And he received a, a, a death sentence of execution um, from Pilate. Okay? So that's where we left off last week. Now something you have to understand about the death sentence that It was specifically given a death sentence by crucifixion. So we have to talk a little bit about crucifixion. So crucifixion was, it was literally the worst form of execution the Romans had. In fact, it was so bad, it was only reserved for slaves and foreigners. In fact, a Roman citizen could not be executed without an explicit decree from Caesar. That's the only way that that's how bad execution was. Execution was a horrific form of death, as we saw up there. It was terrible, it was violent off the charts. So, in the process of crucifixion, a person was tied and sometimes nailed, but most often tied to a a cross and then lifted up and left there to die. Now, Jesus died in a matter of hours, but a typical crucifixion actually lasted two to three days because the the Roman government wanted them, wanted the people to suffer. And not only that, but it was also set up on the major roads in and out of Rome. There were only a couple of them. And in and out of major Roman cities, the crucifixions were actually lined up along the road so everybody coming and going can see these people dying or already dead. Um, they, they often, to get to the point of crucifixion, they were pretty badly beaten, like Jesus was. They were stripped naked. So unlike the movie and unlike pretty much every piece of art you've ever seen, people, Jesus was actually crucified naked. Everybody was. And often, if they weren't dying fast enough, then the Roman soldiers would break the the person's legs to help them die faster. And so, again, this lasted typically two to three days, and it was excruciating. There, There was extreme levels of pain, broken bones, joints literally get torn apart, The person eventually dies most likely of suffocation or heart failure. But again, it takes days. That's why it was actually unusual to nail someone to a cross because they die faster. But Pilate was very afraid of his job and he was afraid of a riot. So he didn't want Jesus up on a cross for two to three days. He wanted him up dead and down. So that's actually why they nailed him. When they, when they have an execution, they need to go fast, they break out the nails. So, so this, this execution, this crucifixion of Jesus, was recorded in all four Gospels. It's only a handful of events that are recorded in every one of the Gospels. But what's interesting is Mark actually gives a very unique, a very different take on this, this crucifixion story. Because in the other gospels, there, that Jesus, it, there's some very powerful moments. There are some very tender moments. Jesus, in the other gospels, Jesus has some incredible prayers we, and sayings. We heard that up at the cross. Things like, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. It is finished. Um, Some of these amazingly powerful statements. There's even, in some of the Gospels, there's even a really tender moment between Jesus' mother, who we saw up there in blue, and then John, the only disciple who was there at the crucifixion. There's a really tender moment between them. But Mark, he doesn't include any of that. Mark only includes the horror of the event. There are no, no good parts in Mark's telling of the story. And th- there's a reason for that. And we'll get to that in a little bit, okay? but he gives a straightforward Horrific account no positive no inspiring moments of Jesus in his last minutes. Nope. It's just all horrible and That's the passage we're going to read today. So it's in mark 15 Starting in verse 21 if you'd like to follow along. I'll be in the NIV. So again, it's mark 15 Starting with verse 21. It'll be up on the screen as well a certain man from Cyrene, Simon, the father of Alexander and Rufus, was passing by on his way from the country, and they forced him to carry the cross. Okay, so we got to kind of pause here a sec, because there's some context. I, I'm gonna do a lot of context here, because there's some stuff here that we need to understand. So first, this guy, Simon of Cyrene. Okay, Cyrene was a city in northern Africa. That's why often filmmakers will, will present Simon as, as an African. Unfortunately, he probably was a Jew, because there was actually, a, there was a large Jewish colony in that country of northern Africa. So it's much more likely that Simon was a Jew who came up to Jerusalem for the big, giant Passover festival that they were having. Okay, And the, the, the way Roman crucifixions worked is that, that the accused, in this case Jesus, had to carry The cross carry some wood from where they were being held to where they're being tried So if we look again at our map of Jerusalem here, so he was executed outside the city over here And so he he, there was actually this little path that they follow if you ever go to Jerusalem It's called the Via Della Rosa uh, the way of suffering and so Jesus actually had to carry his cross from where he was being held to where he was executed but unfortunately with the movie that he probably didn't carry an entire cross it was actually much more likely and much more common to just carry the cross beam so it would just be carrying this portion of it not the entire thing in fact in the movie you might have even seen that the guys behind him were just carrying a cross beam that's actually much more likely what Jesus would have done the other thing about the beginning of this was just prior to this, Jesus was beaten literally within an inch of his life. And that's why he is, he, is, he is steps away from death. He takes a few steps out and collapses because of sheer exhaustion. He had been up all night in the trials, and he had just been beaten to an inch of his life. He didn't even have the strength to carry. The, the cross beam was usually around 20 to 30 pounds, Imagine a a gigantic, like, six by six. Uh, Couldn't even carry that. So the soldiers grabbed this random guy, Simon, um, to carry the rest of the cross. So let's continue. They brought Jesus to a place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. Now this was a hill outside Jerusalem. So that's actually where the little strings end up right here. So imagine a big old hill right here that was called Golgotha. Now, we don't know whether it was called the skull because it looked like a skull. Maybe it had a, little, a couple holes in it, or it was covered in skulls because that's where they executed people. We don't know, but that's where they were taking him because that's where people were executed. And, and incidentally, that Golgotha is actually the, the word uh, skull in Greek. The Latin word for it is calvary. So those of you who have been around churches, you might even know Calvary Hmong Alliance. That's actually the same word as Golgotha. So next time you see someone, you can be, so how's life at Golgotha Alliance Church? There you go, it's just a different language. Same word, different language. Okay, let's continue. Then they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it, and they crucified him. Dividing up his clothes, they cast lots to see to see what each would get. Okay, so we got a couple things we need to talk about there. Wine mixed with myrrh. Okay, so myrrh is a spice and wine, well, is wine. Okay, and particularly wine mixed with myrrh is is kind of the equivalent of the $5 box of wine. Okay, (laughs) it's the cheapest, lowest, kind of worst wine there is. It was actually a favorite of soldiers. So it's not at all surprising that they would happen to have some there, because the soldiers had to stay there until Jesus was dead, which means they're chilling out on this hill for hours. Might as well have a little wine with myrrh. So typically, what's interesting about this phrase, offering wine with myrrh to Jesus, and Jesus declines. Typically, if you've been around churches, you might have heard this taught as it was an act of mercy, because wine mixed with myrrh, like most wine, is also a painkiller. Make the whole process a little easier, a little smoother, down a few, and let's just get on with this. That's actually the typical interpretation of this, but the truth is that doesn't seem consistent to me. As I studied this, the more I looked at it is, so why would these Roman soldiers, the same ones who had just beaten him and who are just about to nail through his flesh, decide to have mercy on him? It seems really strange. So as I study this more, I actually think there's a better explanation of this. One of the consistent themes across Jesus' arrest, trial, and execution was the way the soldiers mocked Jesus as king of the Jews. They put a crown of thorns. They put a crown on his head. At one point, they even give him this big purple cloth, like a kingly robe. And they mock him as king of the Jews. So I actually think it's a lot more likely that this act of putting up wine was another act of mocking. Let's give the king his choice wine. Here you go, king, have some wine, because that's what people gave to kings, wine. So I believe that that the soldiers continued to mock him throughout this whole process. And then also, lastly, this casting lots, that literally is tossing dice. They actually had six-sided dice, just like we do. And we saw it in the movie, they had a couple dice and they'd throw, because it was actually, it was the right of the executioners, the soldiers, to split up any possessions the person had on them. So Jesus most likely had a little bit more clothes. He might have had a cloak, a staff, an undershirt, things like that. And so the soldiers threw some dice to see who would walk off with a new staff, a new cloak, and things like that. Again, kind of ruthless, right in front of him just ripping off his stuff and taking it. Okay, let's continue. It was nine in the morning. Okay, that's an important one. We're going to have a few time markers here, so pay attention to that one. It was nine in the morning when they crucified him. The written note, the written notice of the charge above his head read, The king of the Jews... So as Jesus was crucified, on the top here was actually a sign. It was written in the three languages of the region, and it said the King of the Jews. Because that was the charge that the Romans charged him with. And this is one of two amazing moments of irony, of tragic irony. Because there he was. There was Jesus dying on the cross. And the sign above him labeled him Exactly who he was The king of the Jews Let's continue they crucified two rebels with him one on his right one on his left Those who passed by hurled insults at him shaking their heads and saying so You who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days come down from the cross and save yourself So now here we get a a pretty good glimpse that crucifixion was a very public spectacle. It was open to the public and people would come and watch. And here, not only were the soldiers mocking him, but then the people were mocking him. Saying, if you're so great, save yourself. Let's continue. In the same way, the chief priests and teachers of the law mocked him among themselves. He saved others they said but he can't save himself. Let this Messiah, this king of Israel come down now from the cross that we might see and believe. Those who crucified those crucified with him also heaped insults upon him. So the chief priests the same people who tried him were there as well and they hurled insults at him. You saved others save yourself. And then if that wasn't bad enough, the two people being executed next to him, they insulted him. And a little side note, those two people, again, you could only be crucified um, for, for as a slave, a foreigner, or if you committed murder. So most likely, these were two people who had committed murder, most likely in one of the revolutions. If you were here last week with Barabbas, that, that the, tr- the troublemaker, the rebel, the kind of the riot leader, these were most likely the guys who worked with Barabbas because that center cross was supposed to be Barabbas's. Okay? And so the, these riotous, murdering leaders, that even they were insulting Jesus, hurling insults at him. That's how bad all of this got. Okay? So remember, it was 9 o'clock. Let's continue. So at noon... Three hours later, this went on for three hours. So at noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon, okay? So three hours of darkness. Now, something to understand, in the Bible, darkness almost always is associated with sin, evil, or God's judgment. Sin is almost always, darkness is always always associated with this idea of God's judgment. And you've had three hours of it. And this isn't just a solar eclipse. Some people will try and argue that that there was a solar eclipse at that time. But if you've ever witnessed a solar eclipse, it doesn't go completely dark. It just kind of goes kind of like sundown, twilight dark. No, this went dark. Not just heavy clouds. People say, no, it was a sandstorm. No. Nah. None of that is a reasonable explanation for, the, for three hours of darkness, okay? So remember, this means something big is coming, and darkness is always associated with God's judgment, okay? So now, at the end of those three hours, you know something big is happening. At three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? There's a language called Aramaic. It was the spoken, it was kind of the common spoken language back then. Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This is Jesus in his final minutes of life. We're not down, we're not down to hours anymore. We're, we are down to minutes. And this is someone who, over the course of his life, had experienced deep fellowship, deep connection with God. A relationship with God unlike any of ours. A closeness, a connection with God that none of us have ever experienced. And now, in this moment, God abandons him? After a lifetime of deep intimacy, now in this moment, in the last minutes of his life, God abandons him? Really? That's how this is going to play, play out here? Okay? And for, so for the first time ever, Jesus was separated from the Father. And he feels it deeply. He feels that. And now, okay, at this point, you you might be wondering, wait, okay, if you've been around churches at all, you you, you might have heard this idea, but wait, wait, I thought I heard once that, like, God would never leave nor forsake us. Jesus just said, why have you forsaken me? That should make you wonder. That should make you ask, ask a question, okay? Why? Well, Mark doesn't say. Now, there is an answer to that, but Mark doesn't say it. All Mark leaves you with is the anguish of this moment. All Mark leaves you with is the pain of seeing Jesus abandoned by God the Father in heaven. In his final minutes of life, he is alone. His disciples have deserted him all but one Many of his followers have left. He was betrayed by his own people And executed to die And all we're left is the question we're not we're not given an answer to that question. Okay, let's continue reading When some of those standing near heard this, they said, listen, he's calling Elijah because in Aramaic, the words Eloi and Elijah actually sound kind of similar. So so they actually think, oh, he's calling for Elijah. Now, Elijah was a prophet of the Old Testament and he was actually seen as a Messiah figure. He was so so to the Jews, Elijah was seen as a savior figure. So it makes sense. The people on the ground are saying, "Oh, he's calling out for for the kind of the patron saint of lost causes, Elijah." Someone ran, filled a sponge with wine vinegar, put it on a staff, and offered it to Jesus to drink. Then someone next to him said, "No, leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes down to take him down." That's just harsh. Someone tried. Now that one I believe is a genuine act of mercy. Someone actually tries, but then his buddy next to him is like, nah, don't do it. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. Just like, oh, tragic. Okay? So, I mean, they even see him in pain and, and crying out for help. And even then, one person says, let's help him. The other's like, nah. Let's see how this plays out. Okay, let's see. Then with a loud cry... Jesus breathed his last. And he's dead. The man who had spent three years teaching disciples, performing miracles, empowering the least of society, was now dead. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And now let's pause there. You're like, Someone tore a curtain, okay? No, this, this wasn't just any curtain. This was a big deal curtain. Now, from, from the passage, we're not entirely clear whether this was like the, there was an innermost curtain in the temple, and then there was a curtain kind of right behind it. Either way, a major curtain in the temple was torn, and notice it's very important to see, torn from top to bottom. When you tear something, If if, if you're going to tear a curtain, chances are you're going to grab it and tear from bottom to top. That's how people tear curtains. You know how God tears curtains? From top to bottom. And this is really important for two reasons. One, this, this curtain represented much of the temple sacrifice of the Jews. And when we see it torn apart, God is issuing judgment against the Jews. Judgment against their failure to see Jesus for who he really is. But there's another reason that this is important that it got torn. Because this was also the curtain that separated God's presence from God's people. And only the priest and only the high priest could go in to that special place of God's presence. But now, with Jesus' death, something fundamentally changed about the way that people can interact with God. He tore down the curtain that separated us from God. Okay? And now to the final scene of this passage. we were introduced to a centurion. He was the leader of all the soldiers. Okay, so he was the head guy in charge on the mountain that day. When the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus saw how he died, he said, surely this man is the son of God. Surely this man is the son of God. And there we have Mark's answer. We have Mark's answer to why all of this horror. Why did Jesus have to die? so that you could stand before the cross and like the centurion say, surely Jesus was the Son of God. That's why Mark says that Jesus had to die. So that you could, just like that centurion, stand before Jesus' cross, watch how he died, and say, surely this was no ordinary man. Surely, this was not just a good teacher. Surely, this was not a prophet among many across the world. No. Surely, this is the Son of God. And that's why, why Mark says Jesus had to die. I also believe it's why Mark didn't include all the, the good stuff of the, the crucifixion and just all the bad stuff, all the horrible stuff, because we need to see the horror of it to be able to say, surely this is the Son of God. But there's a bigger question. There's a bigger bigger answer to this question, and it's told in the whole Bible. Mark doesn't answer it. He only gives one answer, so that you could be in the place of the centurion looking up at the cross and say, surely that was the Son of God. But there's a bigger answer. There's a bigger answer to all, and it's throughout the whole Bible, from Genesis to Revelation. And I'm going to answer it in the clearest, most straightforward way I can. Jesus died to become the final and complete sacrifice for our sins. Let me say that again. Jesus died to become the final and complete sacrifice for our sins. All of us have sinned. We all stand guilty before a holy God. We deserve to die for our sins. We deserve the death sentence for all of the wrong that we do to others, to ourselves, to God. We deserve to die. But Christ came as our substitute. He came to die for our sins. He came to take our place. He took the punishment we deserve. So to answer the question, why did Christ have to die? Christ died for you. And he died because God loves you. And God wants you to spend an eternity with him. So why did Jesus have to die? So that you could have eternal life with God. And that begins by saying, surely he was the son of God. Join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, this, this is a hard one to watch. This is a hard one to, to hear. But you planned this from the beginning, from, from the beginning of everything. This was your plan. Knowing that we would fall short of you that we would sin that we would be separated from you by our sin You chose this that Jesus Christ could die the death we deserve Because you want to spend an eternity with us You want to give us that eternal life you want to forgive us of our sins Lord It is not your desire that any of us should die in our sins but instead that we can be saved, we can be freed, we can be forgiven of our sins here on earth and in an eternity with you. So we thank you for Jesus dying. We thank you for all the horror that he went through because he went through it all for us. So thank you, Lord. Thank you for that. So God, I thank you and I praise you in the name of our crucified Lord. Amen.